All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Welcome to episode 33 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger, along with Frank Saravalli, coming to you once again from the woodjerseys.com studio. You'll see the Boston Bruins wood jersey hanging around right behind me. We're going to get Frank one as well. You can go to woodjerseys.com and uh, they will have your favorite team. I know Seattle fans and Vegas fans are, are asking now. Uh, they will be coming very soon. So check it out, woodjerseys.com. Come, uh, Frank, how you doing? I hear an early golf match for you on a Monday morning. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, Memorial Day here. Grave tactical error on my part. Here I am. I'm like, huh, it's a holiday. I'm kind of fun employed. I don't have anything to do. Oh, wait, uh, how about the DFO rundown? But I forgot about that until after I had already scheduled a 7-10 tea time with the boys and showed up at the tea box today. And I'm like, hey, I uh, hate to tell you guys, but I can only stay for nine holes. And they were like, what? So yeah. Uh, poor planning on my part. How could you forget about the DFO rundown? It's kind of, well, especially now it's kind of, kind of like a part-timer. So not, yeah, um, it's, it's I guess, not a Canadian holiday either. So like, I, no, it's just a Monday. No, we had our May long weekend last weekend. So yeah, yeah we're a, we're a week. Uh, uh, we do May. Uh, yeah. We have different holidays at different times, Canada, the U S so. As long as you get the day off, I don't really don't care, but uh, what day it is. It's like uh, Thanksgiving, of course, is at a different time for uh, you guys and us is in mm-hmm. October, you guys in November. So we'll see. But hey, um, 
It was, it was almost like uh, we got game seven tonight. And uh, let's, let's talk about that. The, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, uh, Carey Price is, uh, is putting a lot of angst into Leafs nation. I think the Leafs are putting a lot of angst into Leafs nation. I mean, the way they've started games five and six, uh, they looked like a team that wasn't ready to play. And now all of a sudden this team that's loaded up, added Nick Felino and other pieces at the trade deadline has bolstered this roster, you know, a massive overhaul last off season, shoring up the defense, add some veterans. And now they're in this spot where I think Terry Murray said it best in 1997 with the Philadelphia Flyers in the Stanley cup final, a choking situation. And that's, that's really what it is for a team that the Montreal Canadians in an 82 game season, they they would have finished 26 points behind the Leafs. Like this shouldn't have been close. It didn't appear to be close through the first five games. And now they're in a situation where they've been in holes in games five and six and found a way to dig themselves out of it, which is the craziest part, and then lost both in OT. So, man, it's, uh, it's a lot to unpack there for the Leafs. You know, we talked about the Oilers and their fans a couple of weeks ago and the trauma that exists there. I think it might be a little worse in Toronto. Well, Montreal, the, the only team ever in NHL history to be facing elimination and give up a two-goal lead in both games and still win both games. So, you know, that's, it's kind of crazy. There's lots of things going against them. And Hey, at some point, Hey, you can talk shot attempts and you can talk possession numbers all you want, but Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews, at some point you got to produce some points, got to produce combined one goal. I mean, yep. that's not going to get it done. I mean, everyone was all over dry and McDavid. Why are we not hearing the same uh, amount of noise or, or noise level? Well, because most of the people that were all over McDavid and Drysaddle emulated out of Toronto, they don't seem to want to be able to say the same things over Matthews and Marner, if we want to be honest. And that's kind of what I'm getting at is where, like that spotlight should be shining pretty, pretty bright on those two guys at this moment. Uh, but what about the Habs? You look at them, man, like Jesper Kakiniemi, healthy scratch uh, early in the series, scores a huge goal. He's, he's actually played well ever since he came out of the press box. And, and Carey Price, who who was injured down the stretch, they rested him. He actually went and did an AHL stint, which rarely happens for elite goalies, but it's a, a COVID year. And, mm-hmm. and Carey Price right now, is he's looking like 2014 Olympian Carey Price. Yeah, he's been fantastic. But what I like in, in the Habs is the fight you know, to dig in and, and after blowing those leads to gut out the win in OT, they were opportunistic in game five, uh, game six, a little bit of a different, you know, same kind of thing. They're, they're weathering the storm against Toronto. And, and then it looked like that was the Leafs game to win. And all of a sudden they get, they get one that sneaks through Jack Campbell. And and I think the inverse is also true. If you want to look at, um, you know, Carey Price and how well he's played, I don't know that you can say, you know, to start the series, Jack Campbell was good and solid and had, you know, didn't leave much up for debate, but geez, the last couple of games, there's been a few leaky ones that just kind of trickle through and you're like, man, that does not look good. No. Um, another game seven we had on the weekend on Friday, it wasn't really close as uh, Vegas stomped over Minnesota and then conversely got stomped in game one by Colorado, a uh, little fatigue. Uh, Robin Leonard started. I know that was a storyline before the game, but, and I know the first goal by Ranson and maybe you want it back, but Vegas just wasn't close to Colorado in that game. Maybe fatigue's a factor, but Frank, you told me a unique stat, how teams who swept a series and then faced a team who went seven games in the next series. When those two teams met the team that swept 
left was 0-5. They've mm -hmm. never won a series. So Colorado could become the first team in NHL history to sweep a series and then beat a team that went seven games. Yeah, Sounds I think odd to me. It's the last 20 years, I think, was the stat. Okay. I don't know if it's NHL history, but the point is well made. I mean, the fact that that's, you know, and I, I kind of feel like an idiot, a confession here to everyone listening. I was the guy last pod talking about a little bit of a rust issue. Rust, like what? <laughs> you know, they, they blew the Golden Knights doors off in game one. McKinnon, you know, a guy looked like he was shot out of a cannon. So they were ready to play. Still don't, I, I know it was a, a, a quote pregame storyline. Don't really understand why you turned to Robin Leonard though, three weeks after his last game and Marc-Andre Fleury put up a 931 save percentage in the first round. Why the need to go to Leonard? I'm assuming rest is the only thing, right? They said he played seven games in 14 days and it was almost like Vegas said, you know what, we're going to, we, it was almost like they felt like they had, they were going to lose the game anyway. And I, I just, I don't know. That was a weird the defeatist attitude. Yeah. I, I, it was a weird decision to me. Like Mark Andre Fleur is in pretty good shape. I would think I don't, I don't see why now, obviously I think he's going to be the guy the rest of the way for them, but I, I have to think fatigue or may, maybe there was a little Nick or something, uh, you know, with Mark Andre Fleury, because, you know, Mark Andre Fleury, lots of goalies are going to play, you know, 14, 18, 20 some games in the playoffs. Like this isn't this and seven and 14 is not that onerous. Yeah. And he's done it before. Now, granted he was younger, but that was a little surprise. But even if flurry starts yesterday, I don't know, man, uh, like Vegas, just Vegas looked like they were skating in sand. Uh, what do you make of Reeves? You getting suspended? Yeah, I think he's getting suspended. I just don't, I don't think it's going to be super long. And, you know, again, I could come and eat my words next pod, but I, my guess is that it's probably somewhere in like the two to three game range. Yeah. You know, it was hard to get a real good angle, but I, I think yes. the totality of the circumstances, you know, 17 seconds after coming out of the box games, not even close and a takedown like that. And then to kind of kneel on his head. Like I, I just, that seemed to be the real pressure point. And it just, it's nonsense. The fact that it's a, a six or five goal game at that point and you need to go do that. It just, there's no, it doesn't make any sense to me. It reignite. Is there a better player rivalry in the NHL right now than Evander Kane and uh, Ryan Reeves? I don't know no. if, you, if you saw it or not, but uh, Evander Kane tweets out, uh, it, instead of suspending him, they should force him to have to play 20 minutes a night. Like those two, there's, there's like a litter, a legit disdain between those two. And we don't have enough of that in the NHL. I'm all for it. I kind of like yeah, it. I mean, me too. I love that he was firing that out on Twitter right after the game too. Um, to me, I, it, he wasn't alone. There were actual other tweets, you know, very similar, but not coming from an NHL player saying, hey, maybe the Golden Knights are actually better off without Ryan Reeves on the ice. And I think there's something to be said for that for his production. Um, and also just, you know, sometimes needless penalties. Like, you, you know, you look at that. I know the game wasn't close at that point, but what if it was and you've got a, a nine-minute power play for the for the Avalanche? Like, it's it's crazy. We never see that. Yeah, I think it was earlier this year. I, I think Columbus and, and Anaheim had a, like a nine-minute power play, if I'm not mistaken, but it's rare. And, you know, Reeves, though, that line has, you know, they bring a lot of physicality to, to Vegas. It's part of kind of who they are as, as a team. So I, I don't want to disparage uh, Reeves. Obviously, he, he's limited in what his production is, but he brings a certain element. He's not looked upon to bring a ton of offense uh, to that team. He kind of has a role and, and he fills it, but he he can't let his emotions get the best of them where now it's a nothing game, but 
now if he's suspended, some people now some who don't like Vegas would say, hey, he's not helping the team. Others, though, within the organization would say, hey, wait a sec. You've got to control your emotions. Now he's a different player, but he has a di- he has a very specific role, and he's played it well in Vegas. It's helped them. They've had a lot of success as a team uh, ever since coming into the National Hockey League. And he can't he can't let his emotions get the best. And like if you, if you want to fight a guy, fine. But kneeling yeah. on his head, and I know he didn't stomp on him, but Reeves to me is on a lower level than Kadri. But that's just a selfish suspension. I agree wholeheartedly. Like there's one, there's, it's one thing to provide an element and to bring physicality, be someone that's an intimidator out there that kind of uh, keeps everyone in line. And it's another thing to go out there and goon it up when your team's down big to send a message. Like there's just, you know, it's 2021. There's no room in the game for that. The message is we're going to have a nine minute power play. Thank you very much. And we'll see. We hope, you know, Ryan Graves is okay, but like, I mean, I just, there's no room in the game for that uh tampa carolina two to one the the score didn't by the way wait wait wait. what do you think the suspension is uh if there is one i'll say i'll say one game one or two i don't think it's going to be that long Hmm. i saw people on twitter calling for 10 games and i'm like okay hold on a second i i I really kind of ignore the people on twitter for like when it comes there's always the the people that will go overzealous on anything. Um, they weren't calling Are you a blocker. Do you block Roger. people? Pardon? Do you block people? Are you a blocker? Um, I was early on. I really haven't in a long time. No, I just, I'll just, uh, anybody who's a, uh, you know, if someone disagrees with me, I don't care, but, uh, any, anybody who wants to be childish and insulting, usually I just mute them. It's great because then they mm-hmm. just waste time tweeting to you and they don't even know that you can't see it. So it's outstanding. Um, I look at, uh, Carolina and Tampa, Frank, uh, it was only two to one on the scoreboard, but man, there was lots of great chances. The goaltenders in that series run real, but huge injury loss for the Canes as Rod Brindamore confirms probably, you know, not coming back this round. Yeah. Nino Niederreiter. That's a tough one. Um, look, I think Carolina and the way that they play their speed, their depth, he was such a big part of that. Uh, so that hurts, but I think, Carolina still well suited as we oh, talked yeah. about with trip Tracy to go toe to toe with Tampa. And I think that game one sort of sent that same or delivered that same message. Uh, fascinating, you know, Nadelkovich going head to head with Vasilevsky. Like this is in Vasilevsky, the premier player at his position in the world going against a rookie that hadn't made a playoff start, you know, prior to uh, a few weeks ago. So um, to see it come down to that one goal in the, in the third period, um, man, that's going to be a great series. Yeah. And just, you know, one kind of, you know, technical lost his balance. It's unfortunate for Nadelkovic. Usually, you know, he would make that save, you know, you got to protect the, you know, upper against the post and he just leaned a little bit too far. And I was watching some of the goalie analysts and we'll have Brian Boucher on to talk about that. Like to me, that's not a, ba- that's just an unfortunate timing play by the goaltender Nadelkovic who's played great for them but I just I don't know if they can solve Vasilevsky I just think he's too good and you know you bring in Kucherov and you know like I know Hedman's banged up Hedman looked better yesterday and he's still on the ice at at all the right times in the game it's just Mm -hmm. man we could see another repeat here just like Pittsburgh like Tampa looks good to me what do you, th- yeah. I mean, what do you think Hedman's playing at? Is it 70%? Is it no, yeah. 80%? I, I mean, I'd love to know at the end of the season, you know, whenever it ends, whether it's hoisting the cup or not, sort of where he, you know, he doesn't look the same. And I, to, to be honest, he hasn't looked the same for weeks and weeks. 
No, nah, he's not as injured as he was in 2019, right? Uh, remember when uh, when his his current teammate now David Savard went right around him? That would never happen when Hedman was in uh, healthy at all. So he's he's healthier than 2019, but um, you know the percentage. You're, you're probably a good guess. It, it, it I'd like to know exactly what it is, you know, and because we've heard stories of players over the years and, and different ailments that guys have played with. Some guys have played with a broken collarbone, like. The pain threshold of some players in the National Hockey League playoffs is, is very amazing to me at how they're able to play through it, and especially a guy like Hedman who plays so many minutes and mm-hmm. who plays against a lot of the best players. It's in, you know No offense to a guy in the third pair who's playing 12 or 13 minutes, but you're playing 20-plus minutes a night against the best players in the world. To, to not do that at full strength is pretty impressive well yeah i mean it says a lot about headman because headman at 70 or 75 percent is probably better than 95 percent of the rest of the league so That's right. um it's it's it is amazing and I, I think it's something related to the knee that he just passed off on having surgery on because he knew that he would have ended his season and uh, it's only one game but uh the bruins Man, they're, they're top players. They, they just have more top skill. Even, you know, you look at Pasternak, you look at Marshawn, you know, Bergeron, of course, Taylor Hall's in their second line. And, you know, he's driving in the net, causing chaos on a, on a yeah. Pasternak goal. Like the Islanders, they played well. I just don't think their top gunners can match Boston's top gunners. And, and Tuka Rask isn't going to give up freebies. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I just say, again, I don't think the Islanders are going to go quietly here. I think there's probably going to be some kind of adjustment in game two that Barry Trotz makes to try and button things up defensively. And I think they're just, they're scrappy. Like they don't ever stop working, you know, that group. And you see it, it's like on repeat every year, JG Pajo shows up in the playoffs, all these guys, they just show up and play. And, you know, you end up with a, a sort of lopsided game one, five, two final. And you're thinking, okay, where does this go here? Does this get away from the Islanders? I just don't see it happening. And uh, quickly, one uh, non-playoff story, Frank. The Anaheim Ducks uh, confirmed that uh, both their GM and head coach, uh, Bob Murray, Dallas Aikens, are coming back. Um, I'm not overly surprised by that. Uh, you know, they, they've long been a, a fairly a patient organization for the most part with their management team. So Ryan Getzlaff, you look at Ryan Getzlaff at his age, does he sign, re-sign with Anaheim just because of family and stuff? And do you think it's a one-term deal where maybe he's a guy who gets traded? Or does, does he look to be Joe Thornton here and go to a contending team? I don't have any specific intel on Ryan Getzlaff, but from what I've, you know, the people that I've talked to that are close to him, that know him well, um, the indication would seem to be that he wants to stay in Anaheim. He really likes life in Orange County. Um, likes what the Ducks have, young guys in terms of, you know, what he's seeing from them and, and the way they produce this year. And I think he wants to be a part of that. Um, the question is, you know, what's he willing to sign for? Does he want to try and take a run at it with another team on a one-year deal like a Thornton, as you mentioned? Uh, I, I, my guess, I'd say it's probably 60-40 that he stays with the Ducks if I were to handicap it. Okay, awesome. Well, uh, let's get to our our big guest today, brought to you by Jock MKT. Go to jockmkt.com. Of course, that's Jock Market. It's a combination of fantasy sports and the stock market where you can buy or sell the shares on players. Obviously, just like the stock market, baby, you want to buy low and uh, sell high, get in some players that are going very well at the right time. You can do it for hockey. You can do it for golf. Check it out, jockmkt.com. And right now, if you use the promo code DFO50, 
you'll get $50 to start. So check it out right now at jockmkt.com. Our next guest is the pride of Woonsocket, Rhode Island, a first round NHL draft pick. Burst onto the scene with the Philadelphia Flyers in 2000 and played parts of 13 seasons in the NHL. And since then, he's been behind the glass with NBC cutting his teeth as an NHL analyst. And he'll soon, after the Stanley Cup playoffs wrap, be joining ESPN. Please welcome to the DFO podcast, Brian Boucher. How you doing, Bush? Doing well, Frank. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, just thanks wait, for just joining Just wait us. a sec, Frank. Can yeah. you say the hometown one more time? Wound socket, Rhode Island. Nice, nice. Is that I like is that I said it right? Right. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I just uh... technically no, you didn't say it right. It's it's wound socket. Uh, we know you're not. We know you're not from Duncan Country. If you say wound socket, <laughs> just so you know, it's wound socket. But that's okay. okay. All good. Thanks for that. So, <laughs> Bruce, you're in Denver, and you got a chance to see Nathan McKinnon and crew up close and personal in Game One. What's that like? I mean, I, I've seen McKinnon, but not quite in playoff mode like that to see him with that burst of speed. Give us a word to describe it. Incredible. Uh, scary. Like it was, it was like, if I'm the opposing goaltender, I'm frightened. You know, like I remember playing against guys like Alexei Kovalev. I always thought like he was a guy that nobody could check him like you, but he was not the fastest of guys, right? Guys would go at him in straight lines and he'd make them look silly because he could go east, west quickly. McKinnon can go east, west. He can go north, south. He gets crossing over and you can see him winding up. I mean, it starts at the other end of the ice. He gets coming underneath and he gets chugging. And honestly, I, I don't even know as a goaltender what you want your defenseman to do. I mean, even if he wants to shoot it through the D-man, it's a scoring chance from the slot, you know? Even if you kept him in front of you, there's no way of stopping that. And the question of rest versus rust uh, going into last night, well, there, there was absolutely no rust. I mean, he was he was, he was was scary. And uh, Vegas, you know, look, you, 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 going into the game, you kind of want to think, well, maybe this is not a game that you, where they're just going to sacrifice this game. But – in the back of your mind, you're thinking, geez, how are they going to be after a seven-game series? That was a game that they would just – it was a throwaway game. I mean, it was a setup game. It was a tough one. It was almost like when you're – during the regular season and it's a back-to-back -back game or a three and four that you just – you know that if you get an unreal goaltending performance, you might have a chance, but most likely you're not going to win that game. And you don't want to have that mindset in the playoffs because wins are precious. But, um, man, that was, um, that was a tough game for Robin Leonard to go into – Vegas clearly wasn't, uh, you know, going on a hundred percent and, uh, McKinnon was, was something else. It was, uh, it was a sight to see. So then did it make sense to you, given the way you just described it, that Vegas went to Leonard for game one? I was mildly surprised because like of all the things that I just said, you don't want to go into a playoff game thinking, well, we're going to sacrifice game one. Right. I mean, whoever thinks like that, you think about winning four games in a series, put your best line out there to do it. But I think Pete DeBoer, you know, kind of probably knew the temperature of his team and was like, we just, we just went through a grueling seven-game series, partly our doing. Uh, and, you know, we got to find a way. We got two days off after this. We play Wednesday in game two. We'll give, give Leonard a chance here. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that was his, his thinking. And, and he probably had the conversation with Leonard and probably explained it in those very terms. Like, look, we're, you know, give us your best shot. We'll see how it goes. And that's why there was never any thought to even look down to DeBoer's right to, to, to get flurry into the game. Um, 
I was mildly surprised just because, you know, it's a playoff game and I don't know, you never know how you're going to approach it, but they, they, they chose to go that route and it, it played out probably in the worst possible fashion you could imagine because, you know, they lost a player in Matias Yanmark to the hit by Ryan Graves, Ryan Reeves, um, you know, gets thrown out of the game. And, and now the questions about, you know, you know, uh, you know, more discipline coming. So, you know, now the Vegas Golden Knights are kind of in a, they're in a tough spot right now. And then they got to find a way to rest up here today and kind of regroup and, and hope that uh, they can steal one in, in, in game two. Brian, analyzing goaltenders uh, seems to be one of the toughest jobs in hockey because f- from year to year, like outside of Vasilevsky's and the elite guys, there, there seems to always be a few surprises. Najelkovic was on waivers earlier this season. No team claims him. Now he's going toe-to-toe with Vasilevsky. As a guy who played the position and analyzes it very well, what like did you do? You see signs in guys like Najelkovic, and then is it simply just well now they find consistency, or what changes where you can have a goalie that goes through waivers and he's not the first? There's lots of them to do this on a lot of different teams, and then you know at different ages, twenty five, six, like the history tells us that a lot of these guys will eventually be good. We just don't know when. Can can you give us a better insight as to to why this was the time now for Najelkovic? It's it's a great question. And I think the thing is with goalies is it's all, it's all about confidence to me. And, you know, a lot of these guys that, um, that end up being good in the NHL, if you look back in their, you know, earlier on in their careers, whether it be in junior or college or wherever they played prior to the NHL, you got to look at their track record. Did you see that they have success at some levels before? Uh, and if they did, you know, you should have a hunch that they could be good at the NHL level. Now, if a guy was never good in junior, was never good in college, you know, never was a starter, you know, I mean, they're never going to be good in the NHL. Now the question is like a guy like Nadelkovich, he was good in junior. He was good in the minors, right? There, there, there was a history there uh, of him having some success. I think it's just about, you know, the timing has to be right for a guy where he gets an opportunity and his confidence is there they had three guys in, in Carolina. A lot of coaches don't know how to handle a three goalie rotation. It can be difficult uh, to get enough work for some of these guys. And, um, you know, so you just need a situation where there's an injury, right? And, and you know, Morazic goes down and now there's a chance for the guy to get some regular reps in practice. And, you know, I think the one thing about Nedeljkovic when I watch him play is he's not your uh, – your modern day typical blocker that we see a lot out there. Uh, he's actually fun to watch. Uh, and I don't mean to, you know, rip on the guys that are, you know, work so hard at their technique and are blocking pucks. It's a, that's not what I'm saying, but like McDelkovich is a bit of a throwback where he, he plays on feel and um, you know, which makes it fun, but it also means that there's going to be some inconsistencies to his game. There's going to be goals that go in that don't go in on other guys. Sometimes and you're kind of scratching your head going, geez, why, you know, why did that go in and that, you know, maybe that's why the trust isn't there with coaches when they see a guy like that, because some goals do go in on him, but when he's hot and he's feeling good, you see what he can do. Now, you know, he gives up a, a tough one, right? Yesterday uh, to, to Goudreau uh, at an important part of the game. Um, and maybe a guy that maybe technically would be uh, in better position might come up with that save, which looks like a fairly easy save. But in saying that, I think this guy's confidence is, is, uh, is sky high right now. And he's riding it. And when you get, when you get on that wave, that's the thing we saw with Jordan Bennington a couple of years ago, you want to ride that wave. I think he's a good goalie. How do you, how do you, 
how do you find them and how do you maintain it? That's the thing. I think that the, the, the difference between a guy like Andre Vasilevsky and maybe guys like Bennington and, and Nadelkovich or maybe some others is that they don't have the longevity that, you know, the elite guys, but there's a, there, it's in there, it's in them, you know, because they have, they have past history and you just got to tap into it and hope you get uh, get them feeling good at a, at a certain time. And they, and then you can ride away with them. You mentioned Najelkovic is, you know, he's not just a blocker, a little bit of a throwback. Do you equate that to size, Brian? We hear lots about, you know, height for goaltenders. And, you know, ideally it's six foot three. I don't know how accurate that is or not. Obviously we see lots of guys, six, five, six, six and such. And, but there's very few like UC Saros and Najelkovic is like the shorter goalies who have success. Can you be a, a blocker as you use that term when you're shorter or do you have to be more a- athletic like a Najelkovic? Uh, yeah, I, I think, I think it's because you are small. You're right. You have to be a little, you have to find other ways to stop pucks. You got to think one step ahead. I think, you know, like I'll go to Saros quickly. I think Saros reads the play very well. If you watch him, like, I think he's got a real, a real smarts to his game where it, that's what it separates him from some other guys. And that's why he's able to play the way he, the way he can. I mean, he's smooth. I mean, a lot of the saves he makes, a lot of it has to do with technique and he, you know, I guess he, you, he would be like a guy that you'd see that is six, three, but his mind and his reads, I think are so good. That's why he's always in position. You know, he's always there. And even though he might not take up as much net as some other guys, you know, I think that's what makes him good. Now, a guy like Nadalkovich, I think you're right. I think when you're smaller, you got to find other ways to to be effective. Maybe the element of surprise on some guys. And I think one of the best guys, uh, you know, who was who 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 did that was a guy like Marty Brodeur. I thought Marty, he played a high, hybrid style. It wasn't, you know, he didn't just butterfly. He he read where pucks were on guys' sticks. If it was a right hand shot coming down the right side, he knew that that short side high glove was vulnerable. So he would bait guys to shoot there, and then he'd go down with one knee and make sure that glove is up and 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 come up with a save. And I think that's just you know a, a guy that that maybe reads plays well, reads pucks on sticks well, knows tendencies of shooters, and just has a feel for the game. And I, I don't know that a lot of the goalies today have that same feel. I think they work on technique, technique, technique. And I think you're right. In talking to a lot of scouts, uh, they tell me if the guy's not 6'2", we're not looking at him. So they start at 6'2 and above, and they go from there, and they think, well, if he's big, we can work with it. Well, sometimes there's guys that are athletes that that are good at reading plays that just have this, you know, there's just something that's inside of them that can, that you just, there's no, t- you know, there's no way to quantify it that you can, uh, that maybe you should look at those guys, but that, that that's where a scout's going to have to really do some digging to find a, a guy that's a little smaller that can play the way guys like Saros and, and, and Nadelkovich can. Bush, how would you have described your style? Were you a, were you a blocker? <laughs> were you more athletic? What were you? Uh, I'd like to think I was athletic. Um, I wasn't a blocker. I was more of that hybrid, uh, uh, style, but you know, when I, when I came up, man, we didn't have any, we didn't have any goalie coaches. Like it was incredible. Like the first goalie coach I had full, not even full time was when I got drafted by the flyers and it was, it was Reggie Lemlin. And I never had a goalie coach before that. I mean, I'd gone to goalie schools and stuff like that, but I was pretty much was self-taught. And I just watched, you know, guys like Patrick Waugh, Marty Brodeur, Felix Potvin, Eddie Belfort, Dominic Hasek. These are guys that I that I grew up watching. And, you know, you try and steal a thing or two from certain people. Um, but when I got to the NHL and drafted by the Flyers, that was the first time I actually worked with a goalie coach. It was, it was mind-blowing. And even then, like, Reggie would come in 
for like a week and then he'd go home for like 10 days and then he'd come in for a week and you know and now these these young kids they're they're having goalie coaches at 11 12 years old working with them full time you know like going you know they have their team practices and then they go work with their goalie coach on like small sheets of ice and these kids are so locked in nowadays uh, but for me yeah i was i just played on feel and uh i probably could have benefited from um, a goalie coach earlier on maybe to kind of hammer down some fundamentals and, and maybe and never not lose the feel that you play with. But I think it's important that, you know, the, the you know, being square to pucks at all times is, is huge. Mm-hmm. And so as much as the game's changed and we see all these, you know, different technical additions to it, and certainly in, in that position in specific, I don't know that it has in some other ways. I was going to ask you if you had any flashbacks watching the Washington series I was thinking back to they used three goalies in the first three games. Thinking back to 2011, yourself, Michael Layton, Sergey Bobrovsky against the Buffalo Sabres seven game series. All three of you play. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely uh, it crossed my mind, and the fact that you know Lavi's yeah. behind the bench. Yeah, um, that was that was interesting. Um, yeah, I. I get into a situation where you're using three goalies in a playoff series, it usually doesn't, doesn't bode very well. I mean, fortunately for us, we were able to get through that seven game series, but I was telling somebody last night, we, we shouldn't have gone seven with Buffalo. And then we got, we got spanked by Boston the next round uh, and Boston swept us and ended up going to the cup. So, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it reminded me of that. I think in, in, you know, in Washington, you know, tough, tough break for Vitek Vanacek, right? I mean, he gets, he gets injured in that first game. Craig Anderson, who, you know, tough spot for him too. I mean, this is a guy that hadn't, you know, had full practices all season long. He's stepping into a, into a tough scenario. So they, they, you know, they tried the best they could. uh, But, you know, seeing that scenario is never a good thing. And, um, you know, it seems like that stuff maybe follows Lavi a little bit. Who knows? It's it's like a curse for him having these uh, darn goalies that can't, can't stay in the net. Brian, looking at like, you know, your role as an, an analyst, and, and I think obviously you understand the goalie position more. You mentioned there wasn't goalie coaches. You just look at overall organizations and people you talk to. Do you, are, are some organizations just clearly better structured to help their goaltenders more than others still? Is there a significant gap or is it pretty even across the board now? It seems to me like organizations are really getting on the same page. Like they, they're learning from, you know, what certain teams are doing. And I think having goalie development coaches, um, they're, they're recognizing the importance of that. And, um, you know, I think the, the, the important thing is like having a guy that works with their minor league goalies that's down there, uh, consistently. I think those are the organizations that, are doing it right. Uh, I think more and more are trying to do it that way. Uh, and I think the other thing too, is that you, you've got to have, uh, consistency too, right? Like you can't have a goalie coach that's down in the minors that has a certain way of thinking, uh, and a certain, certain approach to the game. And then you have a different guy in the NHL, like for goalies, you know, the relationship and comfortability that you have with your goaltending coach, it's unlike any other. It's not, it's not the same as positional players when dealing with an assistant coach, you know, or a head coach, you know, you really, the goalie coach is, is more than just, Hey, we're looking at video. This is, you know, the drills we're doing in practice, you know, they're, they're, they're like your, they're like your mind coach too, you know, like they're your, 
uh, performance coach, your mental health coach. I mean, they're the guys that they're the, they're the guys that you bounce things off of. If you're frustrated certain day, or, you know, you, you just, you're not feeling right. You talk to them. Those are the guys you go to. And, and oftentimes those guys, that conversation stays with the goalie coach and the goalie. And that's important. So you have that trust. So, I mean, if you have a guy that you're super comfortable with, say you're in the minors coming up and that guy you're, you're really comfortable with, and then you get to the NHL and, is a different mindset or a different approach. You don't have that same trust. You know, that can be a problem for a goaltender too. And not a, not a lot of that is brought up um, when talking about how goalies perhaps are struggling. You know, there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes as to, you know, why a goalie might not be as sharp as he needs to be. And I don't know, some people might not even care about that stuff. Some, you know, fans might say, you know what, you just got to toughen up and just deal with it. But it's the reality of the position. I'm telling you, the goalies are, are fickle. Um, you got to be thick skin, but at the same time, I think a lot of these guys, you know, little things like that matter to them, you know, and, and, but I think the teams that have the goalie coaches that are in the minors for development purposes, and that the development guy is on the same page with the guy who's in the NHL so that there's consistency when they come up and they have a relationship with both. Those are probably the organizations that you see that, that are doing well with their goalies. And the goalie has to be talented too. I mean, it's not just on the goalie coach. I mean, the guy has to have some talent. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned earlier, Marty Brodeur was like a throwback, a hybrid goaltender, you know, he butterfly, but he'd also stand up. You watch now and it seems that most goalies across the league, it's like, Hey, we're butterflying. They'll give up the top of the net in certain situations and basically say, you got to beat us with a perfect shot. Well, the, the players now have more skills coaches than they've ever had. Like goalies, I thought had an advantage after having a disadvantage for a long time. They had the advantage because they had personal coaches, but now the players are getting that. Do you think, we're going to see a little bit of a, a hybrid coming back for certain guys where they do stand up a little bit more, Brian, or are the odds just too good to play the, uh, the butterfly all the time. And if you get beat up high over the shoulder, sometimes you just live with it. Yeah. I, I don't think it's going to go back to, to stand up at all. I think it's going to stay the way it is. I think, you know, where you see a lot of the uh, advances at the goalie position and, and the forward thinking, you know, we've seen it probably since like 2012, you know, just the post integration, you know what I mean? How guys play um, sharp angle plays, plays around the net. I mean, when, when I was playing, gosh, we were on our feet a lot, even when plays were behind the net. Now goalies are on their knees. And that's all because guys are looking at, you know, statistics and data and they're saying, you know what? The, the numbers tell us the pucks that are going in in these situations are pucks that were on the ice. So let's eliminate that. You know, let's, let's take that, that out of the equation. And that's why you start to see guys in the R, you know, reverse, uh, RVH and, and they're covering that short side post. And now what that does now, the forwards and the shooters have gotten smart, right? They, you talk about with skills coaches. So what are they seeing now? They're seeing that short side high by the ears is, is open. And if you have an opportunity to do that, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's there because they're covering the low part of the net. So now forwards are saying, instead of the jam play, get, get, get to a space where maybe you can get, get away from the goalie, get some elevation and, or bank it off the hip. If the guy hasn't you know sealed the post. So guys are constantly tinkering, but I don't think we're ever going to see, you know, I, I do, I, you know, I, I, I've had conversations like with Henrik Lundqvist about this, you know, cause I noticed that he very rarely used the RVH uh, on sharp angle plays. He preferred the traditional VH where that, that near, leg was up and the other one was down, which is what I like to do. I, I, but I was, you know, I was playing, you know, 10 years ago. Um, and he just said it, you know, he just felt like it was a better move for him. So for some goaltenders, I think, 
there are a couple options you can use. And I think it's about the goalie that can uh, understand quickly, which save selection to use in those, in those situations. It's the ones that get caught in between. They're like, they're so confused. Do I do the VH or RVH? And then they, you know, cause they're, 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 they're caught in between. That's where they get in trouble. The goalie that has, he likes the move that he's going to use. He's, he's got a couple of tools in his toolbox and he knows when to use it and when not to use it. You know, that's where you see the success. And maybe that's where you can kind of mix it up and keep the shooters guessing as to, you know, being more hybrid. But as far as straight standing up, I don't think we're going to see that ever again. So I'm not going to ask a technical question. I actually want to congratulate you and ask about your media career. And first, I wanted to say thank you uh, because you really helped me get mine off the ground uh, 10, 11 years ago covering the Flyers. Um, in fact, when I would head over to your area of the locker room, I would never get any work done because you, Jody Shelley, and James Van Riemsdyk, you'd all be sitting there quoting Dumb and Dumber or whatever movie and I would just stand there and listen and talk to you guys. And you treated me so well. So thank you for that. Um, you really helped make me feel comfortable as a new guy covering the league and wanted to ask you like, what has your transition been like? Um, you know, I know you've worked really hard at your craft to become an analyst. What do you think was the biggest adjustment for you in terms of being between the benches? Uh, well, you were great to be around too, Frank. First of all, I mean, uh, we had a lot of fun in that corner. We had, you know, James is a, a rookie and, uh, I think for Shelly and I, we just, we just like to have fun after practice. We never wanted to leave the rink. We stayed in our gear all day long and just sat in our stalls and just, you know, shot the breeze. So it was, it was fun. Um, so, you know, glad we could, we could help you out. Um, you know, I think, you know, the, the just, you know, for me that you, you're as a player, I think the mindset is, you know, you want to, you want to work as hard as you can. You want to improve every day. And I think, you know, when you become an analyst, gosh, I mean, you don't even know what to expect. I, I was basically, you just get thrown into the fire and you, you see what works and what doesn't. And, uh, you know, as far as your preparation, like how do you prepare for a game? You know, what, what notes are important? What nuggets are important? How often do you get it in? you know, what are you, what are you there to do? You know, like, and I think for me, uh, you know, that was, that's what you had to learn. You know, like I, I, I think I, I just, what I really try to focus on is the game itself. Like I'm not, I try not to get caught up in maybe stories or, you know, obviously if a game's a blowout, that's a different story. You can get into, you know, more stuff like that, but what's happening on the ice, you know, why are things happening? That's, you know, that's what you try to do. And that's the toughest part. There's some games I got to be honest with you. It's happening so fast, you know, to answer the question, why did that happen? It can be very difficult. You know, it's, it's easy when you're sitting at home, I can say, geez, why did that happen? There it is. You know what I mean? You, you, you know, the, the, you know, the D man pinched, there was no third forward high, but you know, you're in the middle of a game and things are going a million miles an hour. Uh, some days you're sharper than others. I think all that, it's just, it's, you know, and then the interview part, like when we, for inside the glass before the pandemic uh, interviews, that was another thing. Like that, that's a, that was a tough one. I've never done interviews in my life. You know what I mean? Like, how do you, how do you start to do that? How do you ask a short and concise question? Um, these things were all things that I had to learn. And, uh, there were, you know, nerve wracking moments, uh, times where I was, you know, I, I was petrified, you know, to go interview a coach, like go, you know, go interview Daryl Sutter when the score is three, nothing, uh, you know, midway through the second. And, you know, Daryl's a guy that's super intimidating. I mean, I had him for three months in Calgary. I was scared to death of him. And, you know, now I got to go ask him a question with his team down. So there were a lot of things that were, were adjustments now that we're in this, you know, 
the way it is, the way it's set up, we're not, we're not doing coaches interviews right now, but, um, it's been a lot of fun, man. Like I, I'm, I'm really fortunate to, to have, to have a job, you know, covering hockey. It's not playing. I miss that. I miss being a part of like a, a hockey team that way, trying to win a championship. I think for me now, it's just about being a part of our production team and our broadcast team and trying to have a, a good, clean broadcast where we, you know, we, we, we tell you why, uh, things happen and uh, we have a little fun doing it. That's what you try to do. And, uh, that's, that's the victory that you get. Last one for me. So who would be more nervous? Brian Boucher in the Stanley cup finals wearing a mask or Brian Boucher in the Stanley cup final wearing a microphone? Uh, I think I've gotten a uh, much more comfortable, uh, with the microphone on, uh, but a Stanley cup final is that's nerve wracking. doesn't matter what you're doing. Um, I'd probably say as a goalie, uh, I'd say as a goalie, maybe I, you know, the, the one I, I got, I remember the Stanley cup final in 2010 against Chicago getting thrown in and two games there. Um, you know, that was, that was, that was something, but I would say as a goalie, I think I'm getting more and more comfortable. I think, you know, there's been enough reps now where I feel pretty good about it. Um, I don't know that I ever was that good a goalie. I'm not saying I'm a great broadcaster, but I don't think I was ever that good a goalie. So I think I was overwhelmed most nights. I <laughs> <laughs> well, played in the NHL that long, man. You're a pretty good goaltender for sure. And you hold, you hold a few uh, goaltending records. Uh, so some are going to be really hard to break. Uh, Brian, we're going to get to a uh, rapid fire right now. And uh, the only rule is you got to answer the question. Okay. Uh, so, okay. Uh, we try to keep them fun, <laughs> some simple, some not. So uh, you got a pretty good head of hair. So what's Brian Boucher's choice? Are you a, are you a paste guy, moose guy, dippity do? What are you using? Forming cream. Oh, okay. yeah. It's uh, American crew. So maybe I get some free forming crew or something like forming cream, you know? All right. Um, during your record breaking 332 minute consecutive shutout streak, how superstitious were you? We're talking five games. Did teammates talk to you between that? What went on during that stretch of games? Superstitious for sure. My roommate was Brian Savage. Um, and the rule was we had to get uh, dessert every night before the game. So we'd get ice cream and apple pie or whatever. And Savvy would have to be the one that called down and ordered it. He was the guy that orchestrated everything. So we, we slept in the same side beds uh, all the time. And we, but the one thing that was important, we had to get dessert night before the game. You talked earlier about confidence with young goalies. Like, what, where was your confidence during that streak, Brian? Like, was it game two in a row where you're like, damn, I'm on fire here? Or, or did, it, did the nerves start to, to get even heightened after you get to three, four consecutive games of the shutout? Because everyone's talking about it. So when you get back-to-back -back shutouts, you feel good about yourself, right? It happens a lot. I mean, a lot of goalies do it in the NHL. And you're like, oh, you're feeling good. You feel sharp. Seeing the puck, have good reads, all that stuff. But once I got to four in a row, that's when there was chatter about, you know, records and passing certain people. And I, you know, we were not a very good team in Phoenix. And I think guys started to get a little nervous and truthfully, I started to get nervous too. I was like, you know, we're getting, we're getting, you know, up to some rarefied air here, you know, like, and I was at that time in, in, with Phoenix, I was a third string goalie uh, for a month in October, November. So you know, I didn't want to lose my spot, but at the same time, I was like, man, I want to get this done. Uh, there was, a, there was a lot of nerves. I mean, I was, uh, when it got to, I think we had two days off in between the fourth and fifth game, yeah. you know, I was like, man, we've come this far. It would be 
such a shame to choke and lose it you know, minutes before getting the record. So I, it was one of those situations where uh, relieved when it was over, relieved to, to, you know, gotten the record and thankful that my teammates played as hard as they did uh, in, in a time of the year of January, when you typically don't get the type of sacrifice uh, that we had. Was there one save that you remembered that kept the streak going? So it was in the last game, the fifth game. We we're in Minnesota, and Marion Gabrick in the second period uh, came in on his off wing. He was a left-hand shot. He was coming down his right side, and he cut to the middle, and he was right in the slot. He cut right across the middle, and he shot right back against the grain. And I, whether I was anticipating, guessing, or whatever, I just, I just had a hunch that this guy was going to cut across the middle and shoot back against the grain, high glove. I read it, I snagged it. And, uh, at that point I was like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know if we're going to blow this. I think it's going to happen. I think, you know, if I made that save on, that was their, that was their premier score, yeah. right? They didn't, it, the wild didn't have many game breakers back then, but that was the one guy you didn't want the puck on his stick in the slot. And the fact that I came up with that save, I felt this could, this could be, this could happen. So what is Brian Boucher's then celebratory drink of choice, whether it's after breaking the all-time uh, consecutive shutout streak or after a really good broadcast. What's your drink of choice? Yeah, I like a Stella. I really do. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of uh, Stella Artois. Stella Artois. Okay. Yeah. What's your favorite goalie mask that you wore of all time and why? Whew, uh, probably my... Oh man, that's a good one. I like my Phoenix Coyotes mask. It had uh, like a brick wall, like red bricks. I like that. But I also liked my Flyers rookie mask that had like this fighter pilot. I, I didn't know what to, I was never creative. Like I almost killed you though. Like the puck came through and yeah, 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 yeah. But that, that was my best season ever. So, I mean, it, you know, there's a lot of good memories with that mask aside from Scott Gomez almost taking out my eye. Um, I, I, I didn't know what to do with uh, as far as designs and stuff like that. And the guy who's painting masks for iTech back then, Frank Sipper, I said, come up with an idea. He came up with this fighter pilot on both sides. And, but, you know, my best year in the NHL was with that mask. And I also liked the Coyotes mask. I thought that was the, the, the most creative one. Which head coach was the most understanding of the goalie position that you played for? Um... I thought Todd McClellan was really good. Uh, I had him in San Jose. Uh, I think he just, he, he really just left us alone. Like he just kind of, we dealt with Wayne Thomas, who is our uh, goalie coach and our assistant GM. I mean, Todd never really, he was, he seemed like a real cool guy. Uh, he, he had trust in me. Uh, I think he was, he was really good. And um, I, I thought, Craig Ramsey, my rookie coach, uh, you know, when he took over for Roger Nielsen, when he got sick, he was another guy that I think he, uh, he appreciated, uh, the goalies. I thought he treated John Van Beesbrook and I really great and, uh, tough situation for him too. I mean, he's telling a veteran guy in Van Beesbrook that, you know, he's not playing in the playoffs. We're going to play this 23 year old punk kid. Um, you know, I thought he handled that pretty well. So I, I thought those two guys did a great job. And lastly, who was your goalie idol? Who did you love growing up? Want to be pa Patrick Waugh was my guy. I was a huge uh, Canadians fan growing up in Rhode Island. Um, I, it was Bruins country. I hated the Bruins. Absolutely hated the Bruins. Uh, but I was a, my, my mom and dad were from um, 
were from uh, outside of Montreal. So I was brainwashed as a kid to be a Canadians fan. And I had Patrick posters all over my room, everything Canadians. Um, I was crushed uh, when he, when he left Montreal, but at that time I was kind of coming up and starting my career out of junior. So I, it was time to grow up a little bit at that point. Uh, but, you know, to see him move on from Montreal was, was a tough day for, for a kid that, that loved Patrick in a Canadian jersey. So does that, are you pulling for the Habs in game seven tonight? Habs are, you know it, you know it. I'm going for the Habs all the way. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Awesome. Well, Brian, thanks for playing in rapid fire. And thanks for joining us on the rundown. And Hey, oh, that was fun. Best of luck to your son, Tyler. He's the 25th ranked skater skater by North American central scouting, the draft coming up in June. And of course he's going to Boston university in the fall. He's going to be a terrier. So you're going to get to see him play lots, uh, living up in new England now. So Boosh, best of luck. And thanks so much for joining us. Yeah. Thanks Frank. I'm excited. Uh, he had a tough year this year, a couple injuries, but he seems to be on the mend and I can't wait to see him playing at BU and we'll see how it goes with the, uh, with the draft. It's going to be a crazy year. A lot of these kids had, uh, had crazy years. Uh, so I'm proud of him. He's, you know, he never, he wanted to be a goalie when he was a little guy, his mom discouraged that from happening because she was uh, tortured with my career. She said, no way in hell is he going to be a goalie. And, uh, he's, he's doing a good job. So it's worked we're, out we're really well. proud of him. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Are you, are you like a lot of dads who played, are you more nervous that watching your son play than you ever were when you played? Oh my God. I'm, I'm a wreck, an absolute wreck when I watch him play, you know, like I, and I'm, I'm hyper, like, you know, I got like, why didn't he, you know, shoot it or, you know, hit him or, you know what I mean? Like, I, and I, I can't stop. And my wife gets so annoyed. She's like, I can't watch a game with you. You know, it's painful. And I, and I, it's funny. Cause like, I'll watch, I watch a million games. Right. And I never get excited, but when he, you know, when he steps on the ice, it's just something about when it's your child, right. You're, you get so, uh, you get so excited and, and then you have no control of it too. That's the other thing. I think, you know, as when I played, I had control of what I was doing and you just kind of, you know, you, you calm down a little bit, but, uh, when he's out there, it's, it's a totally, and I feel the same way with my daughter when she's playing sports, basketball, or, you know, if she's running track, you just get, you just get worked up. You want the best for them and you want them to do well. And yeah, I'm an, I'm a nervous guy. Awesome. Well, thanks so much again. We appreciate it. And uh, we look forward to, uh, to watching your broadcast and, and of course with ESPN next year. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. Great to be with you. Brian Boucher, man, uh, really well-spoken guy, Frank, and uh, quite a career, pretty humble. Hey, you play in the NHL as long as he did. The consecutive shutout streak, 332 minutes. He's also the only goalie in NHL history who came in relief and won two games in the same playoff series. That's a hard Mm -hmm. one to beat, too. I actually did not know that. Uh, He's he's an unbelievable guy, as I mentioned. it, just in terms of, you know, how he treated me and as a media member and uh, how he treated his teammates on like his background too. And his story, we didn't even get to talk about it. Uh, you guys blew me up on, on the pronunciation of his hometown, but played for Mount St. Charles high school in Rhode Island. And that same year in the NHL draft. So he went in the first round and Brian Berard from the same high school went number one overall, two players from the same school from a small town in Rhode Island. By the way, one of the all-time great high school hockey rinks in the country here in the U.S. I played, I played there in the 90s myself, and that, they had the old school chicken wire fence. They didn't have the glass up. That place was unbelievable. <laughs> 
Dude, I had a, we had a rink like that in a small town called Tofield, Alberta. And uh, sometimes guys would go in there and their helmets would rub them on it. You'd see sparks. It was yeah. unreal. So cool. Like, I, I wish the, the stuff like that was still around. Oh, so, oh man. This is some of the, like, someone should write books on all the different great small town rinks because you could, I don't care if you live in the States or you live in Canada, heck, Sweden, Finland, they all, everybody, there's those unique places you played. Um, you know, there's a place uh, in, in Alberta and, uh, Warburg and Andrew, the coldest rinks ever, Frank, like you're literally had to wear a toque under your helmet. Like it was gross cold. It was just, wow. you know, Warburg hometown of Dave Haxtell yeah, assistant yeah, well, coach the, for the, the Leafs roughs. tonight in game seven. Yeah. The roughs uh, too. Yeah. The roughs. Yeah. No, uh, Leeson rough. Their father is an absolute beauty. Him and Shirley. So, uh, Frank, a good week. We'll, uh, we'll find out how the, uh, the next round goes. Obviously as we get closer as well to the, uh, to the expansion draft, we'll start touching on some, some names and some teams and, you know, our team's, are we going to see more potential free agents because teams don't want to sign more guys because then they risk exposing more? We're going to touch on that a little bit later on. Sounds good. Yeah, we got a lot to unpack with the situation in Columbus with Seth Jones. That's going to be a major storyline this offseason. So plenty to talk about moving forward. Now, Seth Jones says he's not re-signing, and I want to end with that, Frank. Seems like an obvious guy that's going to get traded. You don't want to wait during the season and you're not going to let him walk. It would seem this summer is the time to trade Seth Jones where teams have the most possible cap space. I would think so. But look, Columbus has bucked that trend previously, hanging on to guys, maybe a little bit of a different story because they felt like they were building toward being a really competitive team. Obviously coming off this season, we know that's not the case, but you know, whenever you think that you know exactly what Yarmo Kekalainen is going to do, he seems to go and do the opposite. So I would suspect that this would be the time that his value is at an all-time high. Uh, but you never know. Yeah, it's top five defenseman in the NHL in my books. And, man, I feel sorry for Columbus fans. They've lost a lot of their star players. That is that's revolving door. Yeah. yeah. Brutal for a fan base to do. But, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that more on Friday. Frank, have a great week and uh, enjoy the games. You too. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second or a nail biter in the third? 
that's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.